Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Before I start, I just want to say I really sense by the Spirit of God that He's He wants his body to come into maturity. Like it's it's very important to the Lord and and his grace is there for this, but it's for us to understand times and seasons and to come into the fullness of our identities as sons and daughters. And and what that means is to Understand, like Christ Jesus, you know, Paul said, put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh, that we have to start to walk in the fullness of our relationship with him. So what do you think was the hallmark of Jesus' relationship with his father? I want to submit to you that it was his obedience, that he walked in relationship with the father, and he only did what he saw his father doing. He only said what he heard his father say, and, you know, and he, he, he lived his life allowing the father to lead him. And I really believe we're coming into a time and a season where God doesn't want us to be casual anymore. You know, the Bible says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And to diligently, to diligently seek something means to, like, go after it with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, right? We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And to be diligent is not to be casual. It's actually, it's just the opposite. And so he's a rewarder, and he really wants to, he wants to bring us into, into fullness. You know, we are the most dangerous people on the earth to the, to the enemy. Why? Why are we so dangerous to the enemy? Because there's, there's someone who resides in us, right? It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's because Jesus is in us. Not, nothing I did. <laughs> nothing you did but what he did, and he came to live in us. And if we let him come in fullness in us, then we're very dangerous to the kingdom of the enemy. Because imagine all that Jesus did while he was on, on the earth in the, in the region he was in. He, 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 he turned the whole world upside down. But then he came to live in each one of us. And so there's this multiplication that happens because it's Christ in us. Okay. Now, but that requires us to come up higher, right? God wants intimate relationship with you. Christianity, following Jesus, being a Christ follower is not about religion. Religion's man's ways of ceremonially trying to approach God. Christianity is all about having a relationship with the Father through the finished work of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, receiving him as Savior, turning away from our past life and saying, God, I'm all yours. You know, when we were singing, you deserve it all. You deserve all my strength. I can't sing. Ivan, can you give me a little? <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it all. He, he did, but he, he does deserve it all because he gave it all. 
you know, and then Romans 12.1 says we're to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, which is our reasonable service. It's not the extreme. It's reasonable. But when we think of, like, giving our whole lives a living sacrifice, we think that's extremist. God says it's reasonable. He did it for you. It's reasonable that we would offer it back to him. I, I'm excited because I, I really feel like we're moving into a, a, a season where the Holy Spirit, like never before, wants to bring us to maturity in hearing his voice and just following the promptings of his spirit. And in our weakness, he's going he's gonna to bring us to places where it, we feel really awkward and weak, but it's in our weakness that he's strong, that he, he, he shows himself on our behalf because we're following him. And so this, is gonna, this requires us being led by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.14 says, in the New King James Version, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I've always looked at that and said, okay, God, I just, I want to be led by your Spirit. Because you said, as many as are led by your Spirit, they are the sons of God. So this, this requires us to delve into the Spirit-filled life, the Spirit-led life. And what does that look like? Let's look at it in <coughs> Romans 8. It requires radical obedience. In James, it says, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. Now, for a long time, I would read that and just apply it to the, the written letter of the, of, you know, the Bible. Love my neighbor as myself. You know, do unto others as you want them to do unto me. Like, that's how I'm supposed to live my life, and that's true. And we need to get that ingrained in us because it's the word of God that guides us and keeps us. But if it's a relationship, it's more than a written code. It's not just applying the written code. If it's a relationship and he prompts me to do something, am I going to be a doer of the word when he prompts it to me? Is it just the written code or is it the when the Lord speaks? Give a cup of cold water to that person on the street. Am I going to stop for that one and give them a cup of cold water? Or am I going to debate, God, is that really you? I don't know. And we go, and these internal debates go on in our hearts. You know, we're standing online for the Starbucks, and the person in front of us, you know, they're, they're struggling with something, and all of a sudden maybe you get a pain in your elbow, and you, know, you have no issues with your elbow. And then maybe you, is the Holy Spirit saying the person in front of you has an issue with their elbow? You've never had an issue with your elbow. Why is your elbow hurt? Maybe God's trying to get your attention, and so you ask, and then you say, excuse me, um, I'm a Christian, and sometimes God shows me things. Do you have a pain in your elbow? And the person turns around and says, how would you know that? Because I'm following the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but here's the issue, okay? The issue is, what if we're wrong? What if they say, no, my elbow's fine, and you're a weirdo? <laughs> and what if it happens more than once? Okay, tried that three times, I'm out, I, don't, I ain't doing that again. Okay, that's the wrong answer. If you're asking the Lord, God, I want to be led by your spirit, are you willing to bear the reproach of following Christ Jesus? How many, how many in this room want to experience the glory of God? No, honestly, do you want to experience the glory of God, the power of God, God's victory? The Bible says in Romans 8, and I'll get there in a moment, if you want to share in his glory, what do you have to share in? Oh, no, I don't like that part. Just give me the glory, God. I love the glory. 
But it's, but we also have to share in his suffering. And what does suffering look like? I think it looks like he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yet we esteemed him not. Are we willing to identify with the suffering Christ? Turn with me to, I'm sorry, I'm skipping around, but I've just, you got to follow this pattern. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, beginning of verse 8. Paul wrote a letter to Timothy instructing Timothy on how to lead the church, how to conduct his own life as he leads the church. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning of verse 8, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Do not be ashamed. God's given us a commission. He said, go into all the world, preach this good news. What's the good news? The good news is the creator of the, all, of, all of the heavens and the earth, the creator of the entire world, loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ, to take the punishment that we deserved on himself, to die, suffer excruciating death, and be buried, but on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And because of that, when we put our faith in him, everything, he took everything we deserved, we get, we get what we don't deserve. We get a relationship with God. We get brought back into the family. You're no longer disconnected, but you're connected again as a son, as a daughter. But to those who are perishing, that sounds like foolishness. But there's many as are being saved. It's the power of God unto salvation. But he sent us with this mission, and how many, how many have received it as your mission? I mean... This is part of our mission. It's not just an evangelist. Paul said to all of them, do the work of an evangelist. Some people have a specific call and walk in an office of evangelism, but we're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to follow the Spirit and to share this good news. What's the good news? You can have a relationship with the creator of the whole universe. What? Yes, he created everything. In him, you live and move and have your being, and he wants you to know he's for you, he's not against you. Who is he? Let me tell you. But we have to be bold and courageous in that. And we have to be undeterred. And I'm, I have to tell you, I'm speaking to myself because, you know, when I got saved, I was a wild man evangelist for the Lord in terms of just if, 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 if you moved or breathed, I told you about Jesus. Okay? <laughs> But the agony of defeat, there's the joy of victory. There were some victories. Some people came to the Lord. It was awesome. There were enough people that kind of wore me out. And I just, I, get, I got tired of the rejection. And we have to get over ourselves. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, what if Jesus, <laughs> we esteemed him not? And so this is the suffering, I think, especially right now, at least in the Western church, at least where you and I live. The suffering is your identification with Christ. The suffering is your radical obedience to a gospel that says there's only one way to God. I'm sorry. It's only through Christ Jesus. There's no other way. That's closed-minded. You're a bigot. All these other things. It's not my idea. It's his. And, and this is the truth. And this is the truth that will make you free. Because all these other things are going to trap you in a life of bondage and death and destruction. And as you speak those words, the Holy Spirit will back you up on those words. He bears witness to the truth. 
Even Pontius Pilate says, what is truth? Truth is relative. Truth is whoever has power makes the truth. Jesus said, no, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. See, that's the key. No one comes to the Father because he wanted a relationship. He wanted to bring you back to him. And no one comes to the Father except through Christ. And he's made you and I ambassadors of the kingdom. In other words, we come representing Jesus to introduce the world back to the Father who loves them. This is good news. <clears throat> Radical obedience to following the Holy Spirit is the only way. I really believe going, you know, into the next seasons of life, it's going to be radical obedience to the Lord. We have to be radically obedient. All right, let's start to look at Romans chapter 8. Beginning of verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because through, Jesus, through Christ Jesus... The law of the spirit of the law of the spirit gives life, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Two laws. The law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. When we come to Christ, we're actually set free from this law of sin and death. This, the law of sin and death was codified in the Mosaic law. Ten commandments, you shouldn't, I shall not. Kill, thou shalt not steal, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and on and on. And then it was codified throughout Deuteronomy. But the Bible tells us that the law was brought so that we can see how, how short we were falling. We just weren't making it. So we needed a Savior. We needed a Messiah because we couldn't do it on our own. But Jesus came and fulfilled the law. He was the second Adam, just the way Sin came on all of us through Adam. We inherited his sin nature. There was another man come from God. Adam was born of God, the first man. There was another man born of God. Earlier in Romans, it talks about it. Jesus Christ, born of God, without sin. And he lived a sinless life. And because he was the second Adam when we put our faith and trust in his finished work on the cross. We now take on his nature. We call it being born again. So we're born of God now. <clears throat> because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of the law of the spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what law, for what the law, the Mosaic law, was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh or the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh or we don't live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Okay, it's so important now that we start becoming disciples of the Holy Spirit. We, we're disciples of or the Spirit of Christ. We follow Christ. We put on Christ. We make no provision for the flesh. But we have to attune our ear and have our minds set on the things of God. The Greek word for flesh refers to the sinful state of human beings, often presented as a power in opposition to the Spirit. It's the old mindset, the old way of thinking. But the new creation has a different way of thinking. We've been made alive to God. But our minds have to be renewed because our, our minds tend to go back to old patterns. Let's look at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh or their sinful nature have their minds set on what the sinful nature desires. What are the works of the flesh? It's in Galatians. Galatians 5, I think it is. 
For the works of the flesh are evident, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of rash, of wrath, selfish, <laughs> of rash. <laughs> Sorry. Selfish ambition, dissensions, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. All of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live according to the flesh, with all of those things we just read, have their mindset on what the flesh desires. Envy, jealousy. How many recognize? You got to recognize when these things pop up in your life, say, ooh, my flesh is still alive. <laughs> and what are you supposed to do with it? Crucify it. The, cr the cross was actually a torture device. It wasn't, it wasn't just a quick off with your head. It was excruciating. And we're supposed to die daily. I mean, we have to crucify these things. So when you see them, you know, just say, God, I repent and crucify it and, and do the opposite. You know, instead of being jealous with someone, say, bless you. God, bless you. You deserve it. That's so good. I'm so happy for you. Like, start speaking the opposite of what you're feeling. Not like, God, how did you get it? And I didn't, I, how did they get it? And I didn't get it. And all those types of things. Okay. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with, this, with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. This is so important. We have to, we have to reorient our thinking. It's, it's, I really feel like I want to encourage you. The time to just be casual seekers of the Lord is not this time. We're moving into a season when it's just important that we're diligent seekers of God, that we're here to do his will, that we're positioning ourselves, we're setting our minds in the things of the spirit, and we, we, we want God more than we want our daily bread. The mind governed or controlled by the flesh is death. How many want death? Oh, good. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And that's what I want. I think that's what you want, life and peace. So let's follow the Holy Spirit because he wants to lead us in these times. And I really believe, like, I don't know what's down the road. But I know that if I follow after the Spirit, that my life will be filled with, with good, with life and peace. Not that there won't be difficulties or challenges. I'm not saying there won't be suffering or hard times. But in my heart, I know that my heart is rooted in Christ. And, and he's going to work all those things together for my good if I'm seeking him and, and, and positioning myself with confidence, patience, and composure. So the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governs, that means controlled by, the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is actually hostile to God. It actually opposes God. So all of those things in our flesh that we, the list we read through, those are in opposition to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't submit to God's law. Which law am I talking about? It doesn't submit to the is it the law of sin and death? Is the law of spirit of life? I submit to you, it's, it's both. It does not submit to God's law. It does not submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Nor can it, can it. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh or the sinful nature. But you're in the realm of the spirit if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Now, how many, when they became born again, received a new body? Just raise your hand so I can. I haven't seen it yet. 
okay, when I was born again, everything changed. Like, I was like, whoa. I saw things differently. I thought differently. I was just in awe of God, and everything changed. But my physical body did not change. I, people looked at me and looked the same to me. But if you observed my behavior over time, you'd say, something's different. You don't talk the same way. You don't act the same way. Because something changed on the inside. So if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give, your, give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation King James says, you're actually in debt now. We owe something. We're obliged to do something. We have a debt. But it's not to the flesh to live according to its desires. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. If you're not sure what that is, go back to Galatians. Read the works of the flesh and understand I'm not operating like that. And when you see those things operating in your life, turn from them. Crucify them. For those who are, verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. New King James says the sons of God, sons, daughter, your, your identity is in Christ. He wants you to move in relationship with him like never before. I just, I really want to encourage you. God wants us to move in radical obedience. You need to know the word just to understand how to order your life and how to discern. The word of God will give you discernment. It'll, it, 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 it's, it's the guidepost. It's the anchor. It keeps you from going too far to the right or to the left. It just anchors you in truth because it's the logos, the eternal word. But we need to know the spirit, and we know the spirit because we know the word of God. So when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, we know he'll never contradict his word. And so that's our anchor, and that keeps us rooted and grounded as we, as we follow the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. Verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Let me tell you, if you're subject to fear and anxiety, it's, the Lord says it's a, it, fear has torment, the Bible says. He wants to deliver us from all of our fears. Like we, we cannot live in fear. fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear will actually be, is a detergent of faith. It's, it wipes, when we give into fear, it wipes out faith. Now, faith and courage is not the absence of fear. Fear is a spirit. And so you have to step out in faith in the face of fear. In other words, you face down your fears. You don't let fear lead you. Fear says, don't talk to that person. Run away, etc." And you say, eh, no. Honestly, you have to reject fear. You have to recognize it for what it is and say, I will not be led by my fears. I will not counsel with my fears. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. And I'm, I'm going to believe God. And, and fear may be screaming at you. Like, you're out of your mind. Did you look at your bank account? You just lost your job. Etc. Etc. And you have to say, that was never my source. That was never my source. God is my source. 
Fear will put you in bondage and torment. Fear will stop you from, from all that God wants you to have, honestly. I mean, God promised the Israelite, he gave them the, the promised land. The land you see beyond the Jordan, I'm giving you from these mountains on, etc. And they sent out some spies, let's check it out. Twelve spies came back and said, well, we can't do it. Why? Because there's giants. And we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And what did they do? They had fear, and then fear is contagious. What happened? They put it in everybody else. There was only two people that had courage. Did they deny there were giants in the land? They didn't say, oh, no, you know, they're lying. There's no giant. Yeah, there's giants, but what did Caleb and Joshua say? But we are well able to take them. It's not denial, but it's trusting in God. Who do you believe? We have to believe God. It's so important. It, like, like we're moving into a time and a season where it's going to, where, who do you trust? You have to trust the Lord. And you have to be rooted and grounded in Scripture. Be so rooted and grounded in Scripture and be rooted and grounded in love. Don't be rooted and grounded in the opinions of men. I want to tell you, I think the worst place to be is on social media or any media, back and forth. Like, I've just given... I, I don't even watch TV anymore. I used to be, my wife will tell you, I was probably a news addict. I was always watching the news. And I don't do it anymore. I mean, occasionally, it's not, it's not like a law I won't watch at all. But they're flying back and forth with opinions. And, and what it does is it, it, it sows fear in you. It sows confusion. And you name the issues of the day, and they're on both sides, and, and then they want you to get on, pick a side and start arguing. <laughs> Let's get on Jesus' side and do the Great Commission. Let's get on his side. Let's go into all the world and declare good news. Listen, I got good news. What? You can have a relationship with the creator of the universe. He loves you so much, he sent his son to die in your place. By putting your faith, your confidence, your trust in him, you can come into relationship with him. And he will lead you and guide you. And he'll set you free. You'll know the truth. He's going to break the lies off. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So many believers, myself included, loving the Lord for a long time, you know, and then we go into having deep counseling sessions, sozo sessions. What's the key? The key is try to find what's the lie you're believing that's keeping you from breaking through. You identify the lie. You renounce the lie. You embrace the truth. And all of a sudden, you move into new realms of freedom. For me, it was I had this belief that I was an orphan. Not outwardly, like in my mind, I would never tell you that. In my mind, I, I agreed with the law of God. But in my emotional realm, I was, I had to do it all on my own. I got to make it happen for me. Yeah, God, I trust you. You're my father in heaven, but I still got to make things happen. It's like an emotional thing. It's like a deep, soulish thing. And maybe it's different for you. Maybe it's the same for you. But we have to, like, change that, break agreement with the lie, and agree with heaven. What he says about us. For the spirit you re receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. The word for adoption here is this word. It comes from a, a Roman word for a legal adoption. You have all the rights of a natural-born son, all the rights of inheritance to land ownership to all of that that a natural-born son would have. And that's the word that's used here. We, come, we, we get all the rights of a son or a daughter. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, we are heirs meaning we have an inheritance, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If, here's the thing, 
If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that what? That we may also share in his glory. If indeed we share in his sufferings. It's important that we start putting on Christ. I want to tell you, I think in the Western world, in New York City, where you and I are, the suffering is being fully identified with Christ, being one of those Jesus people. And to the extent we're not willing to be fully identified, then we're not going to, you're not going to step into the realms of glory. You know, we have to be so sold out for the Lord that we're, we're willing to tell people about Christ even if they reject us. You know, use wisdom. If you're on the job, you're, you're on a job to do a job, you know, you're not there, you're not being there to, like, preach the gospel. But you have relationships with people, you go out to lunch, you, you have times when there's personal interaction, okay? So you're not on a job if, unless, you, unless you're Colt or me, <laughs> and your job here is to preach the gospel, you know, you have responsibilities. Don't, don't be unwise, but be wise. But there's plenty of personal time where you're having a coffee or you're sharing and you want to tell people, like, they can have a relationship with the Lord. And you build relationship. And the most, some of the most effective forms of evangelism is called friendship evangelism, that you befriend people. You find out what their needs are. Ed Silvosa, great man of God, an evangelist from Argentina, you know, would say, find out what the felt need is and start to, you know, pray for them. Come alongside them in what their felt need is. Be a friend. And then from that place, share the gospel. Share the gospel. But don't be ashamed because they're going to reject you. Yeah, they're going to reject you, but they rejected Christ. So when it, the Bible says to put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh, it means if they reject you, so be it. Uh, you know, and we're supposed to actually compel people to come into the gospel. We were at a, a conference this weekend, and just Daniel Lee was just sharing a short thing, I think it was from Matthew 24, about the, the wedding feast, the parable about the wedding feast. He said, go to the invited guests to come, and they all made excuses not to come. And, uh, and then he said, go, like, invite others. And, and then it still wasn't full. So he said, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. We're actually supposed to compel. Compel means to forcibly bring somebody into the gospel. Like, wow. Compel them. Like, you must come to the Lord. <laughs> he loves you. But so we have to change our mindset because he loves them. And we have to start loving people. You know, it's not just a duty. We got we to gotta say, God, and here's the thing. Pray this prayer. God, give me your heart for these people so that I can love them the way you love them. I mean, who wanted to witness to the Apostle Paul when, when, when the Lord told Ananias to go lay hands on Paul. He says, All right, excuse me, Lord, you, maybe you didn't hear. <laughs> Newsflash. He's like persecuting and killing everybody. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He said, go, what? He's my chosen vessel. He's my chosen. What do you mean? He's your, this guy? He killed my best friend. He killed my best friend. No, that's serious. Can we have that kind of heart that sees past who they are now and see who God's called them to be? And go. Ananias had to go. And then he had to go. This is the guy. Ananias went to lay hands on Paul, knowing that Paul's beheading people who identify with Christ. And he's going to lay hands on him and said, the Lord Jesus has sent me? Does that take courage? No, honestly. Like, we don't, we, I think we read past, at least I did. I said, yeah, all right, Ananias went, God said, he spoke, and he went. 
God spoke, but he went. But in the face of what? He went to where Paul was staying. Who do you think was staying with Paul? Was it all these Jesus lovers? No. <laughs> these were Jesus persecutors. And Ananias goes and lays hands on Paul. Why? Because the Lord said to go. I'm sure he went with fear and trepidation. But he didn't counsel with his fear. He followed the word of the Lord. Now, did he have the written word? It was a spoken word to him. We get to read it, and it's in the canon of Scripture, memorialized for all time, part of the logos. But it was spoken to him. It was, it was the impression. It was the audible, the internal voice of the Lord speaking to him to go, and he went. He was a doer of the word. Are we willing to follow the internal leading, the promptings of the Lord in the face of our fears, in the face of, I can't go, that guy's killing, I'm hiding from him. I don't care he's blind, I'm kind of glad he's blinded because now he can't see me, I can run away and hide. <laughs> when God tells us to do something, do we pull back because there's resistance? Oh, there's resistance. That must mean it's not God. How many times was Paul stoned? Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel and they stoned him. Was it? I'm blanking. Or there was in Philippi or wherever. And then they left him for dead. And then God raised them up. And they got up. They brushed the dust off and they, and they kept going. How many know the story? Did he declare like, I ain't preaching this gospel again. <laughs> that didn't work. Didn't work out so good. We give up when there's resistance. God's saying, press in. If I say go, you go. Go. Don't quit. Just because it's hard. Like, this is why it's so important we hear the voice of the Lord. Because often we're like, oh, it's hard. Must not have been God. I must have missed it. We need to, you need to cultivate the voice of the Lord. So when he says go... It's a go. And if it's not working out the way you thought it was going to work out, you stay the course. Honestly, I want to tell you that this church wouldn't be here if we didn't stay the course in the face of what seemed like nothing's happening. The first few years of starting the ministry, we were very small. And I would get up and I'd say, this is what I see the Lord doing I'd have people even that were close to me say, did you look around? He's not doing any of that. <laughs> and I'd say, but this is what he said, and I believe he's going to do it. And it, it was years. I mean, I think it was two, three years. Finally, we moved to Chambers Street, and only when we moved to Chambers Street did we see a slight increase, you know, of what the Lord was doing and a slight uh, manifestation of what I felt he promised. My, my, my son, Billy, was with us. He was in high school at the time. And uh, he was like, Dad, you know, you keep saying you have this ministry to 20 and 30-year-olds. So everybody I see is like 60, <laughs> older than you. And I'm the only one that's like uh, 16. <laughs> and he was like, I thought when we signed up, like it was going to be all these young people. He was on board. It was like, it doesn't look anything like that. But we stayed the course. We just stayed the course because we felt like the Lord had told us to do this. And it was like a, it, it was greater than what we could see. I, that's all I can tell you is it was a greater force than what I could see with my eyes. Let's keep going because this is important. All right. This is uh, worship team. Why don't you come up? Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to com be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. We have to, I so identify with Christ that we're not ashamed and that we're just, we're putting it all out there. And then when we fully identify and we bear the reproach, then he's, he's going to pour out his glory. But if we pull back from it, then we don't get the glory. And how many want the glory? I really want the glory. <laughs> 
glory to for creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Say hope. Hope is the confident expectation of good that's going to come. Let me say it again. Hope is not just, oh, I hope something happens. Like that's how most Americans, I hope that happens. I'm hoping. No. Biblical hope is a confident expectation of something good to come, right? Hope is the, well, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. Okay? Hope has a, has a confident expectation about what the Lord's going to do. Faith is the substance of what you're hoping for, the evidence you don't see. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit of God, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. How many realize that our bodies have not been fully redeemed yet? But we wait in a confident expectation that we're going to have a whole brand new body. Even though outwardly this body is the king. I've been noticing it more over the years. <laughs> You'll see if you come watch me play basketball later. It's not the same as it used to be. For in this hope, we were saved. In this hope, this confident expectation, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the Amplified Classic, it says, but if we hope for what is still unseen by us, we wait for it with patience and composure. In other words, we're not rattled. We know God's going to come through. If we know he's going to meet all our needs according to his riches and glory, <clears throat> when our bank account's running low or we're in between jobs, we, we have a hope and confidence that God's not, not going to leave us as orphans. He's going to take care of us. And we wait for it patiently with composure. We're not... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You have to let that settle into you. God loves you guys. Can we all stand? I want to tell you, you're not orphans. That's an important, it's important for you to understand. An orphan is someone without a father and mother. They're on their own. They have no resources. Orphans have to grab and cling to whatever they can get in the moment because 
they don't have any hope that it'll also be there tomorrow. My children never worried about what they were going to eat the next day or next week or by the grace of God. It's God's always provided. They knew they were sons and daughters. But when you're an orphan and you're cut off and you have no parents, then you live moment to moment in a, in a state of terror because you don't know where you're resources are going to come. And so you'll cling and grab on to whatever you can and you'll hoard. And some of us, though we're, weren't born orphans, sometimes in the spirit, however life circumstances has dealt with you, you can take on an orphan mentality. But I want you to know, as a son, as a daughter, he has you. You can trust him. And as you begin to cultivate a life in the spirit meaning fixing your eyes on the things above where Christ is your mind governed by the Lord and surrendered to his leading not not our leading He's going to start to release glory. Go ahead, Olga. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.